Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by The Athletic. God, it feels good to say that. I'm here today with John Hollinger, as you probably saw in the episode description. Today, we're going to break down the Eastern Conference as it goes into the bubble. It's just going to be a little bit of a reset. Basically, I'm going to ask John for his general thoughts on the Eastern Conference as a whole as we go into Orlando, and then we're going to run through team by team. We're going to talk about uh, what we think of that team heading into Orlando, what we think its chances are. We're going to talk about the players we're most excited to see on each team, and then we're going to talk about where we think it'll all go wrong. Obviously, the where it'll all go wrong question will be a lot more interesting uh, for teams like Boston and Milwaukee than it will be for Washington, where the answer is, well, fucking everything, right? So, uh, John, it's so good to have you here. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Holding up, just hiding from humanity for another week and uh, watching a lot of basketball. Yeah, so what does your schedule look like right now? Because I feel like mine is just, like, all filled with phone calls. Like, I've dealt with, like, three phone calls from agents today, and, like, they all, like, great phone calls. You know, deal with sounds like a misnomer because I actually enjoy talking to people around the league. Um, and then I just watch basketball and, you know, try and talk to college coaches and agents and executives. Like, I feel like I'm doing a lot more uh, on the phone now than I am in terms of uh, watching tape. So w- what does your schedule look like? So I guess for me, I've been spending a lot of time getting my hands dirty in data, which is something I really haven't had a chance to do for a long time. Um, I love that. And so that opportunity, hopefully, will uh, readers of The Athletic will see the rewards of that as we get uh, further into the playoffs in the off season here. Uh, but, uh, so that, that, that's been a really exciting thing to do to take advantage of the time to do that. And then, you know, just, uh, treating it as the off season a little bit and recharging my batteries too, because we're basically going to have to sprint for like the next 16 months straight. Right. Yeah. We're going to get like three weeks off. It's going to feel like from free agency to training camp. It's going to be wild. It's going to be absolutely crazy. Um, yeah. Let's let's talk about the East, though, heading into this thing. So I feel like before the NBA was suspended, we were mm-hmm. looking at a situation where Milwaukee was pretty clearly the, clearly the favorite, and then we had teams like Toronto, Boston, and Miami that had established themselves as contenders to make the conference finals, maybe could push Milwaukee, probably not going to quite get there. And then there's the fucking wild card of all wild cards in Philadelphia, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where do you think... How do we think that the bubble and the stoppage is going to impact what felt like, uh, I don't want to say an inevitable conclusion with Milwaukee running through the East, because as we've seen with Milwaukee, they've had some troubles come up in the playoffs the last couple of years. But this Milwaukee team did seem like a genuinely, nearly historic team uh, throughout the course of the regular season. Do we think that the bubble has a chance to disrupt that dominance? I think the only honest answer is we don't know. I mean, this is completely unprecedented. We haven't had a situation like this before. When we've come out of lockout situations, uh, the two times we've done that in the last uh, quarter century, the best teams were still the best teams. It's just the overall level of play was uglier. But I'm not sure we saw huge ramifications beyond the fact that depth seemed to matter a lot more. Um, and so I, I don't know if it changes the equation that much for, for a team like Milwaukee. Uh, there is a little bit of a scenario that I worry about with them, which is this. They're going to come back. They're going to play these eight games to play out the schedule. In Milwaukee's case, they don't really matter that much. Even to, I mean, even previous to this, Holding off the Lakers for the top overall seed used to matter and now long, no longer matters, right? Yep. So the only thing you're playing for is to hold off Toronto, who you're six and a half games ahead of in an eight-game season. So I, you're going to do that, right? They literally so, have to win one game. So And then you're going to go ahead and you're going to play four games against either Brooklyn or Washington. And I'm going to go ahead and say they play exactly four games. So and then you have a week off, basically, probably after that, while you're waiting for the for the four or five series to resolve. It's going to be a little interesting to see them ramp up in the second round after not really having a lot of competition, uh, even in that even in that uh, first stretch of games. 
in the bubble. And you just wonder if that's maybe an opportunity, if somebody like Philadelphia comes out of the four or five, if that's an opportunity for a team like Philadelphia to steal game one or game two or whatever and kind of get get an advantage and really make it a tough series for them. So, yeah, I'm actually kind of with you on this idea of it now creating a bit more uncertainty and variance in the Eastern Conference's season. Uh, I think the one thing, and we'll just dive into Milwaukee now, right? Like, let's just, let's just move through the general thoughts and just kind of talk mm-hmm. about where the Bucks are. I think the one thing that really stood out to me about Milwaukee this season was their togetherness and the continuity that they played with. Uh, their scheme, everything just worked together so well. In Symphony, they had basically perfected the way that they were playing defense with Brooke Lopez dropping into the paint, Eric Bledsoe being exceptional at fighting through ball screens, Giannis kind of playing the uh, super monster role as a help defender who can also take on tougher assignments against wings. Chris Middleton's obviously a good defender. Uh, Wesley Matthews knows where to be. Dante DiVincenzo is just like havoc out there is not there's not yeah. really another way to put Dante right and then they have all these vets like George Hill and Marvin Williams and you know it felt like this team uh even with the addition of Marvin Williams uh you know later on in the season and you know Connaughton and Corver and Ilyasova who uh you know had kind of you know seemingly fallen out a little bit after the addition of uh Marvin Williams like it, it felt like and Robin Lopez as well like it felt like this team had just so much togetherness that it was going to be really hard to take them out of their rhythm. And now that they're out of rhythm, they're going to have to reestablish that. But I just wonder if it's going to be easier for a team like that to reestablish what it had earlier in the season. Because for the most part, the core of this group, it's been playing together for a while. Like, look, we can talk about they just added Wesley Matthews last season or before this season. They just added Marvin Williams during the season. But the core of their group has been here for a while and just kind of knows uh, how they're going to be able to operate off of one another. Yeah, they, to me, defensively, they're going to be good. Like, they have their scheme. They know how to do it. Their guards, it's not just that it's a drop. Brooke Lopez is good at playing a drop. Their guards are so good at harassing you in the rear view contest. And it's not just Bledsoe. DiVincenzo is really good at it. Connaughton's really good at it. Wesley Matthews, obviously, is a, is a physical pain in the butt to play against. It's going to be on offense. And when, when we saw last year in the playoffs that Kawhi's ability to basically guard Giannis solidly one-on-one took away a lot of the other stuff the Bucks get to and really made especially a couple of their perimeter players liabilities when you when you looked at Bledsoe in particular and even Miritich became like unplayable as the series went on. Uh it was harder for Brook Brooke Lopez to really get going. So I, I think the emergence of Middleton as a one on one scorer this year is certainly helpful for him. But I also think there are going to be a situations where guys like Bledsoe and DiVincenzo are going to need to make shots. And and against the higher level teams, especially if they play the Clippers in the finals and it's Giannis against Kawhi again, that 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 shot making from those positions is going to be the thing that swings it from is is this a tight series? Can the Bucks be beaten to, hey, the Bucks roll? Yeah. And I think that the big thing this year is that the Bucks do have more options if Bledsoe fails and shits the bet again. Right. Like George Hill was awesome this year. And a lot yeah, of it but, was just very simple, right? Like he was playing more off ball and uh, a lot of it was playing directly off the catch. But, you know, he also, though, like he's not going to shoot 99% from three. Like you can't count on that going forward. Probably even, not. Even though, that's, no. even though that's what he did looking backward. So, you you, you know, you, you wonder when the other shoe's going to drop on, on that because his, his three shooting was a real outlier this year. But let's say that. You know, he's even a 39% three-point shooter, which is his career number, right? Like, Mm -hmm. that's still going to be something that defenses really have to worry about. Like, last year, he was just totally out of sync, it felt like, Mm -hmm. uh, in Milwaukee. And this year, teams are going to have to account for him. Dante DiVincenzo, you know, look, I'm not sitting here saying that Dante is going to be some playoff star, but we do have evidence of his college career saying he's at least not going to be afraid of the moment. 
right? Like that guy is fearless. Yeah. That's who he is. He could definitely be a breakout guy in the playoffs. I, right. I, I'm really interested to see what he – I wrote about this for The Athletic, but I'm really interested to see what he does in the playoffs. Right. And, like, part of the deal with Dante has always been the inconsistency so far through his two seasons. And last year he was hurt, obviously. So that consistency wasn't necessarily going to be there. But, you know, in Dante's case, he was coming on pretty strong at the end of the year. Uh, his last four games, especially that game against the Lakers uh, right before the stoppage, uh, he was awesome in, in those four games. And you, it's small sample, obviously, obviously, but, like, you really hope that it was a sign of a progression versus, you know, just a small sample. And I think there's reason to believe that it was sign of progression. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Wesley Matthews is just, you know, going to be a floor spacer. Kyle Korver is just going to be a floor spacer. Same with uh, Pat Connaughton. You have to hope that his three-point shooting, you know, regresses upward, uh, you know, throughout the playoffs. Yeah. I think he's a better shooter he's, than what he was. I think he's going to end up not playing in the meaningful games. Probably not. Maybe honestly. if you look at their roster and their depth chart, you know, when they get down to eight, nine players and, and he's he's probably going to be the odd man out. The, the only way that I can see him, like, really playing quite a bit is if they have to play a ton of minutes with Giannis at center and they have to play a ton of small minutes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That could push him back in. Yeah. Um, but to me, you're 100% right that eventually at some point uh, one of these teams like – uh, Toronto being able to throw Siakam on him, Boston being able to throw a mix of Jalen Brown, Shimmy Ojale, Jason Tatum on him, Philadelphia being able to send Al Horford and Ben Simmons on him while having Joel Embiid as like a final back line of defense, Miami being able to throw Bam Adebayo on uh, Giannis as well. These teams are going to create problems for Giannis and they are going to need these other guys to step up in a pretty substantial way and to me that is where this could potentially go wrong to go back to the format of this podcast I think that uh, where it could go wrong is if the guards don't show up on offense and uh, to me that is the thing I'm most looking forward to and I think that it has very real ramifications in terms of how they build this roster long-term, even outside of the honest decision. The honest decision is the specter that's hanging over this entire thing. But in the case of, you know, Eric Bledsoe and Dante and George Hill being an older player at 34 already, they really might need to start investing draft picks with the, you know, currently scheduled number 19 overall pick in the backcourt at a more substantial rate than what you would think uh, given the fact that Eric is an all-NBA defender and is, uh, you know, someone that just signed a four-year extension yeah, last year. If they, if they can't play Bledsoe in the conference finals, they have to trade him, right? I, I think like, I agree I mean, with just you. just straight yeah. up, you know, you, 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 then you have, to, you have to do something different at that point. And I think it's not just like drafting somebody at 19 either. I think it's probably trading the pick and getting an active rotation player to put in the plug-in right now. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to see what they would do. Uh, It's it's not that difficult to find a landing spot for Bledsoe because the contract is pretty reasonable, uh, despite the despite the length. Uh, I'll be interested to see where what they do if they fail. But I I honestly don't think they're going to fail. I think they're going to make the finals. I agree with that. Who is the player you're most looking forward to watching on the Bucks before we close out of this? Oh, Dante. I had. you know, I, I think he could be a potential star in the making, honestly. I think he's good on the ball. I think he's good defensively. He shoots off the dribble pretty well, uh, gets good elevation, is a real uh, plus rebounder for his size. I think there's a lot to like there. He still gets a little out of control, a little inconsistent. The shot comes and goes. He needs to show more consistency there. But I'm really excited about his future. Yeah, to me, it's uh, it's Middleton. His season just went so under the radar while it was happening. I feel like since the stoppage, there's been a little bit more discussion of just how unbelievable he was this year. But, you know, depending on how he closes the season, he is 0.01 away in terms of field goal percentage from tossing up a 50-40-90 season while averaging 21 points a game. Um, How he carries that into the playoffs as a one-on-one scorer, like you said, to me, that's the most important thing. Uh, 
outside of the guard play for, for Milwaukee. I trust the defense, like you said. I trust Giannis to bring it, but they're going to need that secondary and third uh, piece as well to be able to go to in the playoffs. And how Middleton is able to respond is going to be uh, essential to their success. And I think, you know, given the fact that I said that they're going to make the finals, I think he's going to be just fine. Let's, uh, let's move on to Toronto. Toronto, uh, sitting at 46 and 18. They yeah. are an exceptionally, uh, again, you know, strong continuity team. Uh, not quite as much super high-end talent as some of the contenders, but again, this is a team that kind of went under the radar even for me this season. Like, I, I feel yeah. like, I, I don't think I disrespected them. Like, I certainly knew that they were good and, you know, talked about that they were good, but, you know, you look up and sitting at 46 and 18 without Kawhi Leonard and, you know, I Siakam, uh, you know, missed like 10 to 15 games. Fred Van Vliet missed 10 to 15 games. Kyle Lowry missed 10 to 15 games. The fact that they've been able to keep this thing together is kind of remarkable in a lot of ways to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, Norm Powell missed time. Marcus All missed time. I mean, that's, yeah. The, uh, Ibaka too. The thing with Toronto, their best player isn't better than your best player. But their fourth through ninth best players are better than your fourth through ninth best players. And in some cases, the differences are pretty significant, right? And, and I think that's, that's where, the, where they beat you and where they get you. And so I think they're sort of well set up for this bubble environment because they can play nine different guys, you know, 25 minutes or whatever, and, and get through games and compete at a really high level that way. And so I think that's going to limit the wear and tear on these guys as they get as they get through this tournament. And then when you look at individual matchups, I do think, you know, you have OGN and Obi who wasn't available last year in the, in the title run, but is a really good on ball defender when you're trying to match up against Tatum in round two, and then Middleton or Giannis in in the conference finals, if, if you get that far, I think he becomes a really important piece. I just question where that high level offensive guy is to really take him up a notch in a playoff game. So I'm with you on that. One thing that I always talk about, though, it, once we get to the playoffs, is the ability to be multiple, to kind of just show multiple different looks at teams, being able to counter uh, what opposing teams present to you with multiple different looks. Uh, this team has a lineup for every plausible situation. They can go two-point guards with Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet regularly. They can go... Lowry, Norman Powell or Terrence Davis, OG Ananobi, you know, Pascal Siakam and one of the centers for a more traditional lineup. They can play Ibaka at the five as they do regularly. They can play Pascal Siakam down at the five, uh, OG Ananobi at the four while maintaining size and backside rim protection and go super small. They just have a lot of different ways to be able to cause problems for the opposing team. And that's really, uh, that's really, I think, their biggest skill as a team. It's not even really a skill. It's just a versatility that makes them really, really difficult to beat. Plus, they're so smart. They have such a high IQ that they're not going to beat themselves on top of that. So I actually, I quite like Toronto heading into this too because I think that these teams with continuity are really going to be successful. Can we agree that Toronto-Boston will be the best series of the playoffs, potentially? Yeah, I think so. Like, you, you could maybe pitch me on uh, Lakers-Clippers as well, mm-hmm. but just like the chess match between the Lakers that's, and Clippers. That's the, part that gets me, that's the part that gets me with this one, is, yeah. is that Toronto has different ways to match up. Boston has different ways to, to counter that, although they have fewer options because their bench isn't as good. But... There's just a lot going on there, and when you have Stevens and Nurse in the chess match, like I'm so interested to see what happens in that second round. No, I'm with you on that. Uh, the high-end offensive playmaker is definitely the number one concern. Uh, I think that we don't even really need to like dive deep into that, other than to say Pascal Siakam's game is the kind of game that should – continue to play up in the playoffs even even as a number one option because of his ability to create shots at all three levels. Yeah, and uh, he just didn't do it quite as effectively as the year went on. You know, the first yep. month he went gangbusters. It was like, oh, my goodness. And it really 
uh, cooled off a little as the year went on. I also think they went to other areas as the year went on. Did, you know, they ran more offense with the guards maybe and used him maybe a little differently, but uh, still like not super duper at, at making the reads and decisions and everything off the drill. Like he's gotten way better. Don't get me wrong. Right. But uh, when we're, we're setting the bar really high here now when we get into second round playoff series though. And I'm, I'm just not sure at that level if he becomes really a plus offensive player. At some point, I'm going to have to have you back, like maybe in the, you know, in the very brief offseason we're going to have this year and talk about just like how some of the lowly selected players have turned into superstars because like Pascal Siakam's story is just so fascinating and yes. just like getting the context of where even like people know that like I had Siakam somewhere around like 45 on my board. Like I didn't even really think he was a first round pick. Um, mm-hmm. And then he turns into this and getting the context behind who these guys were in college and then what they've morphed into, I think is a really interesting idea. But uh, before we even get there and before we uh, even get uh, to the start of this bubble season, who is the guy you're most looking forward to watching in Toronto? So I have, okay, I have my wise ass answer and my real answer. My, my, my wise ass answer is Patrick McCaw because Nurse seems addicted to playing him even though he's not any good. And that's probably the one thing that could, that could really upset the apple cart with this deep nine man rotation they have. Um, my, my more legitimate answer would be Ananobi. Like yeah. I, I just want to see how he does because he wasn't in the playoffs last year. I want to see how he does in these, one-on-one battles, if he can be that guy, if he can be the the guy who's, you know, locked down even against elite, elite players, uh, if he can be that level of one-on-one defender. No, I'm with you on that. It'd be Ananobi for me as well. Uh, I also want to see what his offensive game looks like in the NBA playoffs, because one thing that you really have to be able to do in the playoffs is be able to make quick, rapid reaction reads while attacking closeouts. And he's not, he's gotten better at it since he was at Indiana. But I want to see I, if he can do that still at yeah, the playoff level. That's and I'm not not, not his bag, baby. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not saying that like it can't ever get there, but that could be like a real problem. That if the shooting, because his shooting is still like a bit streaky, even though like the full season yeah. numbers do end up looking good. Uh, if the shooting isn't there, teams are going to play off of him and kind of dare him into. Oh, absolutely. To, yeah. Trying to drive and him being able to make those reads is going to be essential to keeping him on the floor. Um, I think he's going to be able to shoot it at least a high at a high enough clip to keep him on the floor. But, you know, how he performs in the playoffs is going to be fascinating. And I think it's going to be essential for uh, Toronto to have a chance to make the conference finals or even the finals. Like I wouldn't rule this team out as an NBA finalist mm-hmm. either. Miami is the third team. Miami is just the goofiest, funkiest team. Uh, They do have a real closer in Jimmy Butler this year, which I think is going to be a tremendous help. How guys like Duncan Robinson and Kendrick Nunn, like, and Tyler Hero react to a playoff environment is going to be fascinating. How they uh, continue to uh, ingratiate uh, Andre Iguodala into this rotation is going to be fascinating. Uh, Bam Adebayo and how he is able to uh, really play in this playoff setting is going to be fascinating. I have no idea what to expect from Miami in the bubble. I'm just, I'm just going to say it. I have no idea. I think they're going to lose in the first round. I, 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 they've had a really nice year. They've exceeded expectations. I, I just, there's too much smoke and mirrors here for me. I, I think when you really get to it, team, teams are going to let Jimmy Butler shoot from the outside. There's not a lot of other high-level playmakers here. They're going to they're going to squeeze down on on Robinson and and all the little goofy stuff Miami, which they do a lot of cute stuff to free him up. Yep. But it, I think teams are going to be ready for that. And and you can like you can scheme this team if you have time. I I feel like at the offensive end. And then they're like like defensively they're pretty good. But like I don't I guess I don't think they're dominant. I think they again they do some things to throw teams off their game. They're very crafty in how they use zones. Derek Jones is really good when they go to him in in, in zone schemes, but that I I just have a hard time getting excited about this team in, in, in a playoff matchup against most likely Philadelphia. Um, you know, even if they played Indiana, I'm not sure about it. Honestly, I, I just I, I have a hard time feeling this team in the playoffs. 
I do too. I, I would imagine, like you, that it's probably going to be Philadelphia. I do think that there is like a real case that they have more to gain or lose than any team in the Eastern Conference's regular season, uh, this eight-game stretch, because if they can outplay Boston and get to that number three line, it's actually like an enormous difference for them because they could then get, you know, potentially Toronto in the second round, who I think that mm-hmm. they match up a little bit better with than either Milwaukee or Philadelphia or Boston, obviously. Um, getting to the three line for them, I think, is actually really, really important to their potential. Yeah, I guess their schedule is pretty hard. Like, I don't really think that has much of a chance of happening. They have to make up three games out of eight in order to move ahead of Boston. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough. Like, no question. I just wonder if they play. I mean, this is a team that, like, gets by by playing hard and, like, wanting it more than the other team almost. They have a lot yeah. of these grinders. Oh, I mean, like, they'll, go, they'll go all out for it without question. Right. Um, and I, wonder if I, just, that, I wonder if that, like, helps itself out uh, during this regular season where a lot of teams are going to be just kind of feeling it out, you know, especially yeah. the good teams. Yeah. I'm intrigued by this okay. team. I, okay. I'm, I'm not going to say that I think they're good because I think that I would pick Philadelphia in a series over them uh, because I can't quit Philadelphia, as I've said multiple times. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, I still believe in them. I shouldn't believe in them. I know it, but I still do. Uh, in Miami's case, I agree with you that I think that the offensive creation is going to be a problem. I do think that a lot of it is going to be dependent upon how guys like Hero, Nunn, and Robinson react to a playoff environment. Uh, I agree with you on Robinson that teams are just really going to try and you know make his life way harder and stick to him. But when they do that, they're going to be spacing, they're going to be freeing up more space for a guy like Jimmy Butler to attack. So it's going to be really interesting to me to see how teams even decide to play them. And a lot of it's going to be incumbent upon Nunn, Goron, and Tyler Hero to be able to be that second creator to where even if they do just basically dare Jimmy Butler into driving and play way off of Bam Adebayo, uh, if those guys can play well, it's actually going to really uh, foster a more uh, more plausible scenario offensively for Miami, but uh, it's a big question as to how Kendrick Nunn is going to play in the playoffs. Like, I don't think, probably not well, because, you know, teams should be able to scheme down on him. Yeah, the, uh, the um, that took some stones, by the way, um, to have Kendrick Nunn as a starter from day one. Yep. Over Drogic. Uh, and I think a lot of coaches would have been afraid to do that. So credit to Eric Spolstra that he just... Went with that right from the word go, and it worked. Yeah, and, you know, Goron, I think, is going to play a critical role here in the playoffs, and we'll see where it goes. Do we expect anything out of Andre Iguodala? Uh, I mean, I think he'll play. You know, do I expect anything special out of him? Probably not. Yeah, I agree. I didn't really see much in the, what was it, like 12 games that he played? For Miami, it seemed like he was just solid rotation wing, but maybe he's worked himself into better shape uh, during the time off, and maybe uh, this eight-game stretch will allow him to play himself into better shape. I think that that's asking a lot. Who's the one guy on this uh, roster that you're looking forward to watching most in the playoffs? Boy, uh, I guess I have to answer with somebody. Uh, <laughs> to me, know. it's like almost all of I'm them. I'm not like super fascinated here, but uh, I would say probably Dragic just because he's entering his walk here. I think a lot of teams are going to be watching him closely to evaluate him as a free agent, uh, especially teams that are looking to add like a high-level backup point guard are going to be looking at him really closely. Yeah, and the same can be said for Derek Jones as well. Uh, I think that teams are going to be very interested in how he plays in the playoffs if they can get anything out of him offensively uh, mm-hmm. in a playoff scenario. I'm still going to say Bam here. I feel like that's like kind of obvious, but how he reacts to being like the essentially second guy on offense is going to be really fascinating to me because they run a lot of their offense through him kind of at the high post uh, and allow him to really not necessarily initiate, but be responsible for making a lot of decisions and how he's able to 
kind of reacts to teams really game planning for that uh, is going to be a really interesting scenario to me. Let's move to let's move to Boston. Let's move to Boston next. Boston, sure. uh, I think, is if you maybe pick one team that I think can maybe not even topple Milwaukee, but maybe make a run to the finals outside of Milwaukee. Um, it is probably Boston to me just because of the leap that we saw from Jason Tatum late in the season. And really even from January onward, uh, he was, yeah. he was a different guy. Really came on late. Really interested to see him uh, just because he's been able to score a lot more, been able to sh- shoot better. I think there's still a little bit of a question for him as a playmaker though. And if yep. he can really, access those highest levels as a as a playmaker too and really make teams pay for sending attention at him because especially when Boston gets into their bench guys which is basically uh and anybody besides their six best players <laughs> right yeah. uh the, the teams aren't going to guard those guys at all like nope Grant Williams, Semi Ojale, Brad Wanamaker, take all the shots you want like they're all going to be there okay so how Tatum reacts to that and, and deals with that. He's going to get more attention. And then obviously when they have their better players on the floor, can he create shots for their good play? You know, can he set up Kemba Walker, Gordon Hayward with easy looks? Can he, you know, set up Daniel Tice for some dunks if, if Tice isn't run blocking under the rim? Um, <laughs> I mean, so, speaking of Tice run blocking, like I feel like it's mm-hmm. going to be important for them to get real minutes out of Robert Williams on some level. Like well, they it's need, gonna, they between him or and between him or Ennis Cantor, one of those guys is going to matter. If you look at, I mean, just look at Daniel Tice's foul rate. Like he's he's not right. going to be on the floor for 35 minutes. He's not. So they're going to need another big to step up, and that that is a potential issue for them. Now they're a little fortunate right now. They're not on the same side of the draw as Philly. I, I think that's a matchup that makes Boston nervous. And I think the other matchups, you're not playing against teams with with big time centers. I think they probably feel better about those. Well, the funny thing is that I think right now they are matched up to play Philly, aren't they? We just assume that Tec- Indiana's technically, fall off. I mean, technically, yes, but Philadelphia's schedule is cake. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna be able to move up. Yeah, I would think so as well. And plus, Indiana, as we'll talk about here in a minute, it's gonna have some issues. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and like just given that Cantor has had his issues in the playoffs with the way the teams can just take him into space and cause all sorts of issues, and Boston's done a pretty good job of finding a way to scheme around that in the regular season, but I, I don't see that really working as well in the playoffs. I think it's going to have to be Robert Williams uh, that really steps up. And then additionally, I worry about Kemba Walker being just kind of a switch magnet for teams in the playoffs. Like they're, they're just going to work as hard as they can to get Kemba on a one-on-one and Kemba's feisty and plays really hard, but like, yeah, that, that's going to be yeah. tough. That's going to, it's going to be, they've, I mean, they've been really good uh, at using kickout switches to get him out of trouble, at pre-switching matchups, so he's never he's never involved in the in the center of the play. It gets harder to do as you go deeper and teams know your schemes, but that that's going to be a challenge for sure. Can they keep him on the floor at the end of games, or do they have to play Marcus Smart at the one at the end of games? Yeah, I would imagine that they're. Mm, I think they're probably going to have to keep him on the floor unless Gordon Hayward really. Uh, really continues to get back to the level of being the guy that we saw in Utah. And I think for that reason, he's the guy that I'm most interested in watching during the bubble. He is, he has the potential to opt out. Obviously I don't think he's going to do it because it would be kind of crazy, but he does have that ability to do so to at least maybe sign a longer term deal if he would prefer that. And what we saw from him, especially from like the midpoint, of the season onward was very good. We started to see him be able to be the secondary playmaker that we always kind of hoped that he could be like the number two real option with his ball, with the ball in his hands, making decisions at a high rate, being an efficient scorer, both on the interior and on the perimeter. Uh, How he plays is actually going to be, I think the biggest barometer for Boston's success outside of Tatum. Yeah, he's an interesting one for another reason. Uh, he's expecting a child somewhere along the line here and uh, is supposedly going to leave the bubble in order to uh, tend to that. So that that will be an interesting story to monitor as well. 
Yeah, like, will he actually... I mean, like, if they're in the middle of, like, a tight series, like, will he do that? I would imagine he would, because he said that he will, but... Uh, and obviously it's, it's the I birth of a child, Sam. I wouldn't I'm going to go ahead and say he's doing it. I wouldn't fault him. I would absolutely hope he'd be there. But, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, unfortunate exterior pressures on guys that yeah. uh, ultimately end up leading to that being a ridiculous decision, but an actual decision that has to be made, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, yeah, the depth is what worries me. If we had to pick one thing, I would say the depth is what's going to worry me. They really need one of, like, on the perimeter, Romeo Langford, even, or, like, Shimmy Ojale, Grant Williams, Brad Wanamaker to become yes. something. I think they had some hope in, like, November that by the time they got to this point, Romeo Langford could be that guy. Uh, I, there's no evidence at all that, that he is that guy. <laughs> so no, there's they're going to go in a different direction, I'm sure. I can't imagine that they're not going to. I mean, I will say that, you know, over the course of their last 17 games, he played in 14 of them, I believe, and like played 15 minutes or so in many of those games as well. Yeah. I I would imagine they were like testing him out for this, and it wouldn't surprise me if they continued to try and test him out once they get to the bubble in some of these early regular season games. But... Yeah, I'm with you. I, I mean, I always thought Romeo was uh, – I had Romeo at, like, 21 on my board, and they took him at 14, and I always thought he was more I, th- I thought that was a – yeah, I thought that was a little bit of a reach, too. Now, as it turns out, this draft wasn't exactly uh, littered with superstars, so, um, you know. Right. But, you know, even Grant Williams, who they took later, has established himself as, like, useful in a yeah. way that he hasn't been. So, um, Boston's going to be interesting. I still believe that because they have the star power of Tatum – Gordon Hayward, Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown, you have four guys that can actually go out and get a bucket. And in the playoffs, that ability to play one-on-one basketball is just so much uh, greater and so essential that I feel like there is a real chance that uh, these guys do have a a possibility to rise above some of the glaring roster holes in terms of depth. Mm -hmm. Let's let's move to Philadelphia because I think this is just – Remains the biggest wild card. I mean, where where have you been on Philadelphia this entire year? Because, uh, I mean, even just from public comments recently, it feels like they're still not there in terms of chemistry. Yeah, I really like them coming into the year, and it just hasn't happened. And the specific thing that really disappoints me is I thought whatever happened at the offensive end, that these guys would at least be awesome on defense. And they haven't been. Yeah, like, they've they, just been good. Just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're a really good rebounding team that does nothing else exceptionally uh, on defense. And so how do they how do they shake out of that and get to that? That's a really interesting question to me. I think they're going to have to look at bringing Al Horford off the bench maybe. Um I wonder you wonder offensively, you know, they were trying to get a little more shot creation and movement and whatnot, bringing in Alec Burks and and Glenn Robinson. Where do those guys fit uh, now? Um, there's just a lot of, still a lot of questions, and yet this team's talented. Like, <laughs> you know, Philadelphia, Milwaukee in the second round, like that could go seven games. Well, they have a bunch of bodies to throw at Giannis. Like, they have so many different guys that can actually. I'm not going to say like you know cause major issues for Giannis, but at least slow him down. In a way yeah, that you other put teams can slow him down. You can put Horford on him. You could put Embiid on him at times. Yep. Um, you have, you know, you have Matisse Tybel. You could probably put him on a little bit, although he'd probably well, what, gamble gamble his way into some dunks. But <laughs> well, yeah, there's that. But like, you could put Matisse on Chris Middleton, and yeah, just you know, yeah. make Chris's life more difficult yeah. for 15 minutes a night. Um, and then Josh, Josh, Richardson. Josh Richardson, obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. like. This team could make games against Milwaukee like ninety-eight to ninety-two. Yeah, I mean you just you go back variant. to that you go back to that Toronto series last year. Like they made that court look so small against the Raptors. It was like I mean they, they're they're so big and they cover so much ground. Uh, Fred VanVleet, the first five games of that series looked like three feet tall, and that he would never ever score a basket against that. Like he, he finally figured it out toward the end, but uh, I. 
it just defensive. This team's peak defensively is still scary. And so I still have some respect for that, of what they can be. They just haven't shown it at any time during the year. Yeah, and to me, you know, while I expect the defense to at least be there on some level, right? Like, this was a top-six defense in the NBA this year. Uh, They'll be there at some point. They just weren't. Like, I would have – if there was one bet I could have made in terms of advanced stats coming into the year, it would have been Philadelphia will finish in the top three of defensive rating. Right. Oh, like yeah, I, totally. Yeah. I didn't see a world where that would have happened or mm-hmm. wouldn't have happened. And it happened. Uh, I still just am worried about the fourth quarter offense. Now, what they're going to have to do is because they decided to not go out and like tr- trade for a real point guard uh, during the trade deadline, which I think would have been the most interesting trade possible or plausible during that deadline period. They're going to have to play like Shake Milton and Josh Richardson on the ball and use Ben Simmons as a screener while like essentially benching Al Horford, I think. Like that that's to me the only way this really totally works. Yeah. In terms of yeah. fourth quarter offense. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree with you. Yeah. It's going to be Horford on the bench and then the fifth guy out there will be either Milton or Burks or somebody who can dribble. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, why, why did about, they cut Trey Burke again? I don't know. Why? Um, why? <laughs> they need more point. They just need point guards, like, period. Yeah. They they need to – I get that Ben Simmons fashions himself as a point guard, and the organization has allowed that to happen. And Ben Simmons should still be allowed to grab and go on the break and lead out in transition. And he can even bring the ball up the court if he wants. Like, that's great, I think. But – they need a guy who can actually initiate a set in a half-court setting. Uh, yeah. Not even all the time, just on, like, a certain number of possessions. And while I love Josh Richardson and think Josh is about to make a ton of money when he hits free agency, like, he's not it either. And, like, Shake Milton yeah. is great as, like, a, you know, second-side playmaker who forces teams to close out hard. Shake Milton isn't that kind of playmaker, even though I really like Shake. Yeah, no, I mean he's a he's like a nice find in the fifties, but like now you're asking him to be on the on the floor initiating offense in the fourth quarter of a playoff game. Like we we just went several levels up here, right. so I, I I don't think that's the thing he's ready to do yet. If and ever. like I'll even say like I had shake I think at like twenty nine or thirty on my draft board. Like I think it was just like a drastic like I, like I think that the NBA kind of missed on shake to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like, he's 6'6", with a 7-foot wingspan, and has always been a good shooter at every level, except for uh, at the NBA last se- NBA level last season when he got the minutes. That guy translates well to being a good player to have around for a team like Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily translate to being more than, like, a 6th or 7th man, though, and they need someone who can actually be an offensive initiator, which is a little bit different than what Shake's skill set is. If I was them, I would personally be starting Shake Milton. Uh, like, I, I just would. Uh, I think that that's the move. And still play Al Horford and still, uh, you know, play all of the different versatile big lineups that mm-hmm. they can. But uh, I think Shake has been a very, very good find for them. Who is the guy you're most looking forward to seeing on this roster, though? Because I feel like, you know, there are probably five different answers right now. You know, I don't know how much he's going to play, but I got a soft spot for Korkmaz. I, 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 I still it. think there's I still think there's something there. I think he I think he can shoot. I think he can shoot on the move. He has good size. He's gotten a little better defensively. I don't know if he totally fits the rest of this team right now, but I'm, I'm kind of a Korkmaz guy. So he'd probably be the guy that I'd be interested in watching. So that, that's a deep cut there. So given that you went with the deep cut, I will go with Ben Simmons because I particularly want to see what he can do in fourth quarters if they play him in more of a screener, you know, short roll kind of situation that allows him to play more to his skills uh, when teams try to actually game plan for what the Sixers are going to present. Like, I think that that's actually a way to get something out of him when I think he's like 117th or something uh, in fourth quarter scoring in the NBA. And that's just like absurd for what Ben's skill set is. Yeah. You know, having him not roll into a place where Al Horford is already standing would be helpful too. So I'm hopeful they can clean some of that stuff up. Yeah. Like I, 
and the thing about Ben playing into like a short role too is you have to be able to convince Al to be able to step back behind the corner three-point line, or you know you have to have Joel uh, playing kind of a high-low with him in the dunker spot uh, situation when Ben is playing that short roll game. Uh, or Joel can space out and, you know, try and, you know, pick and pop or, you know, actually he would just yeah. be spacing because I'm asking for Ben to short roll. But, like, you know, when Joel does take threes, teams do, for whatever reason, tend to close out on him hard enough to where he can Stop biting on his shot fake on the three. Oh, my God. Like, stop. I don't get it. Stop doing it. Like, but they what do, are you doing? But teams do. They do it regularly, and I don't understand why. And I feel like that is a real uh, place for Philadelphia to actually gain something of an advantage on offense. It's going to be interesting, though. I think they're kind of a mess, but uh, I I think that they have, like you said, as much talent as anyone. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not going to say we're going to blow through these last teams, you know, pretty quickly, but... You know, we're not going to go into as much depth necessarily because I think that you know the first five teams are the ones that really, uh, really deserve the more in-depth breakdown to reset things. Indiana, uh, you know, obviously going to be without Victor Oladipo. That's going to just make their life exceptionally difficult. It's just going to be so hard. Like I, I don't Is see how though? they're going to be able to create. I do. I don't see how they're going to be able to create offense in a playoff setting. So, so what hurts about this is that Jeremy Lamb was already out for the season. Right. Um, Oladipo only played 13 games for him, though. And the 13 games he played, were, like, didn't go that well. So No, it didn't. But you still need a guy that can be a perimeter creator, and they don't have it. Yeah. They're, and, like, it, so the hope is it, gone it, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's Brogdon pick-and-rolling with Sabonis and doing his short roll, and then T.J. Warren's doing his, you know, kind of – goofy things that end up in these little floaters that go in. Um, and and that that's fine and all. But, yeah, it, when you're playing at a higher level, it's probably not good enough. Could they, you know, if they got to a 4-5 or five series against Miami, would they have a chance? Yeah, I think they would. But otherwise, against against Philly or against Boston, Toronto, Milwaukee, I think, I think they're pretty close to drawing dead here. I, I just don't think there's enough high-level talent, and I don't actually don't think there's enough depth either when you talk about subtracting Lamb and Oladipo. Like, you start going into who's your 6th, 7th, 8th guy. That, like, you know what I mean? Like, when Doug McDermott and TJ McConnell become, like, the guys you're counting on, like, that that's hard, right? <laughs> like, so yeah. I, I, I think they got a lot of issues here. Yeah, and, like, I like Aaron Holiday, like, as a, you know, high-level backup at some point. But, you know, Aaron Holiday was starting – like their last seven games of the year or eight games of the yeah. year. Yep. So that's going to be really tricky, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who's the big, guy you're big most min- look- big, min- big minutes coming for La Familia Holiday, by the way. Give me give me some Goga Batadze minutes. That's all I ask. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> uh, begging for a lot here. Who's the guy you're most looking forward to on this roster? Uh, has TJ Warren ever played in a playoff game? I'm not sure he has. I'm kind of, I, I want. I'm kind of interested to see what his game looks like in a playoff series. Yeah, he has enough kind of game off the bounce and with his ability to get to that floater, like game in the mid range and get to that second level. That there's a chance it actually looks okay. Yeah, yeah. Like he could be pretty useful. I, I am gonna uh, maybe since you went full hipster, I'll go full hipster this time, and I will say Batadzi. I just want to see. Uh, I want to see if they give him any more minutes uh, than what we've seen. Like, it was so fascinating when they drafted him last year, uh, especially if they thought they were going to actually pay Sabonis. Like, I, I don't really get paying Sabonis, paying Turner, and drafting Batadze, even though I thought Batadze at, like, 19 was a perfect value. It was, like, actually a mm-hmm. really strong value. I, like, actually was, I actually was okay with it because – you hate drafting but, centers, John. I no. hate I hate drafting centers though. But um, I actually I had I had I had Batazzi in my top twenty though, so I was okay with that. Um, but I mean, it's it's three bigs. It's not unmanageable. I I think the where I think the hard part is just the mentality is that if Sabonis is going to be your four and Turner is going to be your five, then there's room for Batazzi. If but if Sabonis and Turner are both fives. Which, which I think is probably more where things are evolving to, then I think it gets really hard. But I also think 
you have to have in the back of your mind that you may end up having to trade one of Sabonis or Turner. And that, I mean, that point of reckoning may come as soon as this summer. We'll see. I say yeah. this summer, this off season, whenever it happens. Yeah. Um, this fall. So, so I, I, don't hate the Batadze pick for for those reasons. Yeah, if, if like that's where paying them both kind of comes back and like fucks with my brain a little bit because I'm like, okay, you're gonna pay them both and draft this guy. It's a little bit weird to me, but I guess like you said earlier, like it's not like this draft class has gone wild. Um, let's go to Orlando. Uh, I am very intrigued by the Magic. Uh, if Jonathan Isaac is actually gonna play, I can't imagine that they're going to let that happen, right? Uh, seems unlikely to me, and which is unfortunate because they were starting to play pretty well when the season shut down. Yep. And I think Isaac is a rising star, although he's a stealth rising star because most of his value is on defense. And he's a guy who kind of makes, makes this th- whole thing work uh, in Orlando. If he could become a really high-level player, I, th- I think it changes the outlook of this whole post-White Mare reconstruction. So he's definitely the most interesting guy to watch. Uh, but, you know, Michael Carter-Williams played really well right before the season shut down. I want to say he had like three of his highest scoring games in the last three years were in the week before the season shut down. Um, DJ Augustine started playing a lot better. That whole bench unit was really coming together. Uh, in a in a really good way, so I don't think it's going to matter at all, big picture, right? Like they're definitely going to lose in the first round. They're going to get to number seven because there's no they're going to lose more than Brooklyn does, and so so everything here is kind of a known. They're still a little interesting for me to watch, and then the other wild card here is Aaron Gordon, and just where does he fit into all this, and do they need to move on and get a different piece in there? So. I will play devil's advocate just momentarily on Orlando. Okay. If they get Isaac back mm-hmm. and get, let's say, Boston in the second round, or in the first round, I'm sorry, they actually have the guys in Gordon and Isaac to match up on ball and in help with Boston's wings. Mm-hmm. I don't think they win that series. Like There is a world where they kind of push that Boston team, though, and like make it... okay tougher than what you would think. Um, like Vucevic can maybe get Tyson a ton of foul trouble and they have to start relying on one of Cantor or Williams. They have these two wings who can actually defend on ball. I'm not saying they're good and I'm not saying that they're going to win. I can just see a world where they make like life more difficult for these teams. Yeah. The okay. Okay. Um, I'm with you on Gordon. I think Gordon's the one that I'm most interested to watch because I think he is definitely the most interesting trade target uh, in this coming off season. I'm still a believer in Aaron Gordon. Uh, I still think he is. Uh, he's going to be very well suited to a team that just unleashes him as a four man. Yeah, and that has a little bit more spacing to, yeah. that you know can allow him to be a little bit more of a slasher and uh, runner dunk type. Yeah, like if I was Brooklyn. I would be interested in Aaron Gordon. Like I would be like I want I want to pair him with guys like Karis LeVert, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and just kind of allow him to wreak havoc and then expend even more energy on defense. That's an interesting one. I I had thought about Brooklyn as a destination for him. But that's kind of interesting. Yeah, and then like Golden State's one that I've floated before using like the sure. trade exception to like trade into you know, another player and essentially figuring out like a way to actually get his number into the trade exception. Um, but yeah, I, I think he is, he's the guy I'm most interested in as a trade target this off season. And he's the guy I'm most interested in uh, kind of checking out during the bubble because he can actually pretty drastically change his valuation. I think uh, in this, you know, 12 game sample, given that it'll be a pretty recency bias thing. Um, yeah. The last two teams, I mean, Brooklyn, I love Karis LeVert, and I think he's going to drop like 30 per game in these, you know, 15 games. Sorry, I gave them 15. It's going to be 12. <laughs> yeah, if that. I mean, they might not hold off Washington, even with even with Washington's situation. Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to buy that. Like, Karis LeVert's still the best player on those two teams, right? Eh, I guess. But there's a lot of, why? Well, hey, I don't know. I, I, 
I haven't expended a lot of men- mental energy sizing up to play in a <laughs> tournament in the East, so uh, I shouldn't shouldn't speak too far out of turn. But yeah, this is just two sad trombones going against each other here. Um, one guy I'm interested to see, uh, who actually is probably going to get minutes now, Rodion's Karuks uh, for Brooklyn, yeah. who looked pretty promising last year. Everything went completely off the rails this year, and now I think has kind of a second chance to establish himself as a piece going forward. Uh, the guy for me would be Jared Allen. Um, we, we think Jared Allen's. I've like lost track of who's playing for Brooklyn. Jared Allen is playing, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Jared, you know, they started to push him out of the starting lineup right before yeah. the season was suspended. Uh, to me, and like, I will say over the final 10 games before they tried to make or decided to make that decision, DeAndre was playing well. And I don't think it was like as indefensible from a this season perspective as many kind of made it out to be. But the problem is that they were just looking at it from a this season perspective versus getting Jarrett continued minutes uh, when it's very clear that he's the better option long term. I don't know if they see him as that option long term. Like I want to see how he looks in Orlando to see if maybe in an increased, you know, role that he'll never have with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, maybe he can prove himself a little bit more in Brooklyn's eyes to where uh, they decide to keep him because he's another guy like I'm watching pretty substantially right now Mm -hmm. as a trade target for the 2020 offseason. Yeah, trade target. And then he's eligible for an extension too. So there's a lot going on there. Yeah. And I think that's why like he's the like he's a pretty substantial trade target. Like there's no, I can't imagine them paying Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan $25 million a year between the two of them, right? Well, we'll see. I mean, one of the things we're going to find out is how willing Brooklyn is to pay tax in general. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, let's let's go to the final team, Washington. No Bradley Beal here. Um, I mean, this team just wasn't very good. This season in general, they were fun. Like, they certainly play an attractive brand of offensive basketball. But, I mean, that kind of falls apart without Beal and Bertans, right? Uh, a little bit. And then, I mean, they're still going to give up their 130 a game or whatever. Uh, right. The liberation of Troy Brown is probably the one exciting story here. Yeah, Troy's one guy that, you know, started to come on really late uh, in the regular season. I, I would go with Rui just because I want to see what Rui can do. Is like, I mean, like, Rui's going to be the focal point here, which is, you know, interesting in a number of ways because the questions about Rui coming into the draft were uh, how does this guy uh, transition into a more of a role player environment Mm -hmm. just given his defense given his lack of shooting well we're actually going to get to see if he can be something of a focal point Uh, can he show flashes as something of a focal point uh, in this setting so I would say Rui is the guy I'm definitely most interested in uh the guy i'm least interested in watching uh throughout this entire bubble experience is uh andre pesechnik <laughs> i i never want to watch him play basketball again <laughs> like wow like no wow. no disrespect but like I, I don't know how that guy's in the nba right now to be honest yeah like he wasn't even a good player in Europe the last couple of years. No, no, he was not. No, that's that's <laughs> the part that was fascinating. But did you know he has the same agent as as Davis Bertans? I do. <laughs> yeah, it's probably just a coincidence. Yeah, uh, I would imagine that. Uh, you know, there's just just a you know situation where they were on the phone and uh, just, just talking talking. Happened to be talking and something came up. You know how it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, things happen. Uh, Hollinger, what do you have coming up for people who uh, want to find your work? So uh, I actually uh, just finished something that I wrote with uh, with our James Edwards about uh, Detroit and the new front office and the moves they can make there. So uh, that's that's going to be out uh, the beginning of next week. And uh, you can also find the nine players that I'm most excited to watch in the postseason, uh, including a few guys we talked about, uh, Jason Tatum, OG Ananobi, Dante DiVincenzo and uh, several more from the West. Yeah, we uh, the Detroit thing's interesting because it feels like they're kind of clearing house, like totally in the front office from kind of talking around today. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see what that front office looks like uh, under Troy Weaver and how much say Arn Tellum and uh, 
folks above Weaver still have. Like, I, I think yeah, that Detroit's exactly. like a really, really interesting just front office structure right now for a lot of reasons. 100% agree. Uh, for me, I'm going to have a thing on uh, Kentucky's prospects uh, for the 2020 NBA draft on Monday. I am going to have an upcoming mock draft for next week at some point. I haven't finalized writing it yet, uh, so I don't know when that's going to go live. But you're going to have a bunch of written content from me next week. You're going to have a couple podcasts from me next week. So until next time, we will talk soon. Bye.